We have discussed at great length how a primogen council comes to be, yet we have barely touched upon its purpose. We know, for example, that the council often acts in an advisory capacity to a prince, sometimes even influencing their decision if they hold enough sway over the ruler. Yet when it comes to specific knightly affairs, there is much yet to learn. The Primogen Council is most often composed of the most powerful and influential members of each clan. There are of course exceptions to this rule, quite a few in fact, but then their more powerful clanmates are most likely so occupied with their own personal jihad that they can't be bothered involving themselves in the petty affairs of a single city. Either that or they utterly lack an interest for the political, which amongst certain clans, like the Gangrel, is far from uncommon. A weak kindred may earn their seat by accident or the machinations of their elders, but they are rarely long for this world once they have ascended. Thus it is safe to assume that any vampire who has earned themselves the title of primogen have quite a bit of force to leverage should it become necessary. A Ventru Primogen may have the local police at her beck and call, a Tremere would have influence over the city's elite, all members of a secret occult fraternity under his control, and the Molkavian may decide what does or doesn't make it into the evening news, having the journalists and reporters dancing to their tune. Indeed, a well-oiled Primogen council may have even the worst breaches of the masquerade under wraps in less than a night's work but to assume that they exist merely to cover up the tracks of careless neonates is to do them a gross disservice. Their influence can just as easily become proactive. The Ventru sending a SWAT team to raid a Sabat Pax Haven, the Tremere ordaining that all brethren of the order must fire all employees belonging to a Ventru rival's feeding type, and the Malkavian may send their puppets to do an undercover coverage of local gangs of misfits, exposing the anarchoterie and severely weakening their ability to operate secretly. Of course, not all primogen matters are this blatant or confrontational. Sometimes, something as simple as planning the distribution of domain is enough to occupy the council as a city's kindred must share the available vessels lest they attract unwanted attention from those who would investigate a sudden spike in anemia, missing persons and the like. In a city with kindreds in the tens or even hundreds, it would be almost an impossibility for the prince to alone keep track on who hunts where. Their seneschal may help, but a clever prince may instead grant a larger area to the primogen and in turn dictate that they divide this territory amongst their kin. Not only does the prince then avoid the headache of figuring this out, they may also hold the primogen accountable if there are any violations against the traditions in their domain. The Nosferatu primogen, for example, would be in a much better position to keep track of their clanmates in the sewers than the Ventru prince, and it would be in the primogen's personal interest to investigate any potential wrongdoings in order to avoid the prince's ire. This can of course be used as a weapon as well. If a prince, or perhaps the majority of the primogen, wish to weaken a rival, it would be a simple matter to start chipping away at their domain, inviting newly arrived kindred to hunt there, or perhaps even turning parts of it into a rack, a free-for-all hunting grounds. With the unfortunate kindred now forced to deal with these disturbances, they will then be vulnerable to other acts of aggression. 
In a similar manner, a prince may lack the resources to control all mortal institutions in a city. Thus, why not proclaim that it is the purview of the Bruja to supervise the city's universities? The Bruja may even appreciate this notion, having, after all, once been the learned clan, and they will henceforth be kept occupied ensuring that their domain is under control. In the example I made previously, an efficient primogen or prince may divide and conquer, so to speak, ensuring that the fraternity of the Tremere becomes a matter requiring knightly management, thus preventing him from imposing his will in other domains. If the Ventru controls the police, the Malkavian may be convinced to have their branch of the media investigate the recent surge in police brutality, for example, causing damage to the Blue Blood's sphere of influence. Each city is its own self-contained ecosystem, and there are only a finite amount of resources. And while conventional power bases may be claimed by older kindred, an enterprising neonate may seek to claim dominance over, say, the city's cleaning companies, having hundreds of potential spies and infiltrators with access to more or less any place desired. After all, even the sanctioned halls of Elysium will get dirty over time, and the prince's vast collection of plate armor attracts dust like it's nobody's business. The primogen can often act as a form of checks and balances to the prince, especially as a collective. If the prince lacks the support of the primogen council, they lack the support of the kindred of the city. It is as simple as that. Exceptionally powerful princes may not care, and this is a common thing in Europe, not so much in America, yet even an ancient Methuselah may not want to antagonize every single kindred in the city they rule over. Contrarywise, a primogen that does support a prince promotes stability and order. If the Bruja primogen throws their lot behind the prince, they also show their clanmates that anyone challenging the prince is then, by default, also denouncing them as primogen. The primogen may also have to deal with potential usurpers for the prince's claim in order to not lose face. It is far from unheard of for a prince's clan to also be represented on the primogen council. The Camarilla has never declared how a primogen ought to look, and thus nothing prevents a Ventru prince from having a blue blood primogen sitting on their council. Of course, at first glance, one may assume that this leads to an unfair advantage for the prince but those observers will often tend to mistake shared blood with shared interest. Any experienced kindred knows that some of the worst enemies are the ones who share common ancestry after all. Indeed, it can sometimes be to both kindred's disadvantage if they are of the same clan, as the rest of the primogen may assume that the council member is a mere lackey and the prince is trying to exert control over them, regardless of any evidence to the contrary. Clan also does not have to be the deciding factor between a primogen and a prince's collaboration, of course. Plenty are the stories of an ongoing romance between kindred from separate clans and times, finding, perhaps for the first time in hundreds of years, that spark between them that enthralls both parties, or merely one. Yet, as is so often the case, these relationships never work out. Vampires are too territorial, too suspicious of each other to endure the vulnerability of a romance for long. But during such a time, it is not rare for the two parties to support each other against the others on the council. Sometimes individual primogen will take an active stance in opposing the prince, often because they consider themselves both more suitable for the role of leader, 
but also that they have enough power and support behind them to have a sporting chance. These pretenders to the throne can range from mildly annoying to a direct threat, and some princes may strike down hard on any such insubordination, while others may even secretly provide their rival with information and resources, anonymously, enjoying the little game they have going. The most dangerous enemies are, however, the primogen who have no personal stake in the deposing of a prince, but rather just wish them gone. These are wild cards, unbribable opponents that will rarely settle for anything but the prince's resignation or death. The seat of primogen offers much that a prince's does not. A prince is a very public figure with very clear responsibilities. A primogen council, not so much. Ill-defined and dependent upon its members, a primogen sits at a relatively safe and unobtrusive position. If they have no desire to make waves, they can remain a passive observer of events. If they wish to amass power, without the added responsibility of it, <laughs> well, few positions in the sect's hierarchy offers so much freedom. Many older, powerful kindred often relax in a seat on the council for many years, building up their own resources and keeping abreast of local politics. Sure, they may be challenged by their clanmates or by a potential rival on the council, but then there is no rule saying that you have to remain passive and objective as a primogen. A subset of kindred who do this are those who were once princes, archons, or even justicars. Leaving their former positions behind, they settled for the relatively peaceful, or at least predictable, seat at the primogen table. Most kindred would be suspicious of this seemingly drop in status, and they may rightly think so. But many are the former officials who have grown weary and exhausted with the nightly games at such level. To them, the night-to-night -night business of supervising a fraction of a city is much more manageable and far more entertaining. Conflicts between primogen members, or even with the prince, is not uncommon. Yet rarely will you find any of the parties engaged in fisticuffs or duels with pistols, although it is far from as uncommon as one would believe. Instead, these elder kindred are the masters of subtle passive aggression. They may filibuster an important meeting, steal mortal resources from under each other's noses, or even spread dirty lies and rumors, being in a uniquely privileged position to do so. Ultimately, death is a rare occurrence. It is simply too costly, too risky, and too gauche to murder one of the few kindred who, at your age, may offer up an interesting challenge. Prestation is the key to kindred politics, something most neonates will only learn a decent bit down the road of being a vampire. After all, once you have amassed yourself a fortune, have any kind of luxury you would desire at your beck and call, and may call down potent allies on threats against you, then surely favors are all the currency you may desire. Indeed, boons are of the highest value in the Camarilla, and the primogen are wont to dispense them freely. This is a surefire way to manipulate, uh, influence members of your clan to do your bidding, either as part of a grander plan, or simply because you cannot be bothered with something as trite as patrolling your own domain. Each primogen must be wary, however, just exactly how freely they dispense these boons. They may eventually find themselves in an uncomfortable position when the favors are to be cashed in. And as they say, in good times your friends get to know who you are. 
in bad times, you get to know who your friends are. Finally, while it is exceedingly rare, it is not unheard of for clans outside of the Camarilla to hold the seat in the Primogen Council. Indeed, since Xavier declared the Gangrel's departure from the sect, they are technically no longer Camarilla. Yet you would be surprised how many remain in their seats. By default, the Camarilla considers you theirs, if only because they will then be allowed to punish you for your mistakes. Thus, even without a Justicar, the Gangrel, and for that matter any other clan, can, and sometimes have, had seats at the Primogen despite lacking sect status. Even so, those seats are perhaps the most threatened, because with no one above a prince to speak for you, or to defend your rights when you are wronged, each knight will be a most dangerous gamble. Four dark gods have awoken from their aeons of slumber to walk among us, and their patronage is a blessing as the time of judgment draws near and I pray for their benevolence. Snow, whose insight is matched only by his compassion, Adam Daw, whose wisdom guides my hand, Bambi Parsons, whose passion courses through our veins, and Dr. Sheepington, who at last has stirred from his crypt to join his brood, are all worthy of our worship and we subjugate ourselves to their might. The Methuselah, Her Satanic Majesty Danny, reborn through fire and ice, Maximilian S. Hardcastle, who maneuvers the chess pieces of the Jihad with ease, and Socrates Johnson, the ancient scholar of lore who has seen fit to engage once more in our nightly games, are all of them blessed for their interest in the work of our council. Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, Zero Six, Stonewolf18, Jokerman, Cal Constantine, Lauren Eason, Ian Nichols, and the Black Friar are all valued and appreciated member of our council, and their wisdom and good judgment shall be the torchlight by which we conduct our affairs. Our elders, Dante the Canine, What's That Smells Its Blood, Remy Van Roy, Gaslight88, Aubrey Ayers, Non-God, June Pocciolo, Justin S., and Joseph Perry shall receive our blessings for their devotion to our cause, and for the example they set for the younger kindred of our sect. We would also wish to send our thanks to the Ancile, Harry Wyckoff, Envihan, Giudan, Al, and Hawk Haynes for their help and guidance of their juniors. And finally, our stalwart neonates shall, as always, receive our appreciation for their services. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there, for Gehenna may soon be upon us.